0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Stories of that game and what happened in the clubhouse is just fantastic. There's no game that can bleep you like this
1: one! <laughs> it's Roycey on baseball. Let's go here.
0: This is Manny Hill and uh, Ricey, Ricey on Baseball. We'll be talking with Buster Olney uh, later uh, today and uh, get his insights on what's going on in the grand old game. So, Manny, uh, in spring training this year, one of my concerns uh, with the Twins was, or uncertainty more than a real concern, was with the middle of the infield. Uh, Jorge Polanco was certainly... Considered a terrific hitting prospect. Uh, you know, the, the Billy Smith year, by the way, when they got Max Kepler. when As we as we look back at badmouth the Billy Smith tenure, remember, he was the guy who, when they had the three international signings one year, were Miguel Sano, Jorge Polanco, and Max Kepler. So mm-hmm. let's keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jorge, as a shortstop, to me, has... Oh, he's been iffy but acceptable and then he only had the half season last year because of the steroid suspension and I was I I just see him as an average shortstop. Like and, you could
2: just get by with yeah, him. Yeah, you
0: can get by with him mm. if he hits, if he's hitting and right. uh and the expectation is that as a switch hitter he would hit. Even though he didn't tear it up last year, he was okay once he came back. And second base, they brought in Jonathan Scope, who came off a horrible year uh, after being a really good Oriole two years ago, had mm-hmm. his best season with him. And I guess when he was playing against the Twins, I didn't notice, properly No, I knew he was a extra large second baseman, and he's listed at six one. There's no way he's six one. He's 6'3, he's don't you think? Yeah, he looks I mean, like he's it, huge. Yeah. And he's listed at 225, and he's 225 for sure. That's a big second baseman. And so you're wondering okay, he can't move around at second base. But then, and I saw him in spring training, and they. You know the the spring training is exhibition games has turned into such in you know, four or five innings they might not be playing the same time and uh, you don't you don't really get a good read on them. But Palacco, of course, has uh, hit like a machine here in the first half of the season, and Scope has turned out to be a better second baseman than I thought, and he has a rifle cannon of an arm, which is interesting. When he got signed, it was a shortstop, and you can see why he got signed as a shortstop because
2: mm-hmm. he had
0: the arm, but then again, there aren't many, you know, Cal Ripken-sized shortstops. And But what's interesting is that I just started thinking about this Friday night when— uh, they're gonna, you know, you got to beat the Orioles. It's the first game of the weekend. You can't let the Orioles beat you, right? right. And it was a, it was a close ball game. And twice uh, the Orioles had a threat going, and they hit a ground ball to Marwin Gonzalez at third, and Scope came from the normal second base position and came over and turned the first time, turned the double play, and it was kind of easy. And the second time, almost turned it when it, it looked like there were no chance because he had such a rifle throw. Yeah. And it got me thinking, we don't see the double play. We don't see the classic double play much anymore.
2: Like just the, the standard 6 4 the, second, three, yeah, the 4 yeah, 6 three. Five, Yeah, the
0: five four three, Because the second baseman is, oh, you know, if it's a left-handed hitter, he's over playing on the grass. Yeah. And if it's a right-handed hitter— uh, half the time he's playing on the other side of second base, so he's taking the throw. If he's t- he's taking the throw coming in from a dip, you know from behind or or he's getting there and setting instead of coming over the bag, the old yeah. come over the bag, second. Uh, and I wrote a little something about this for Sunday, which was misconstrued, because uh, but the headline says that they've eliminated the double play. Well, they've eliminated the classic double play, mm-hmm. and and we spend all that time when I was a young man covering baseball, uh, the reason they moved Rod Carew off first, second base was he couldn't turn the double play anymore. You know, that's how important the pivot was considered in yeah. baseball back then. And Bobby Randall was basically made the Twins second baseman in 76 because he could turn the double play.
2: Mm-hmm. He was...
0: You know, he had a started 149 games and he wasn't, you know, a mediocre hitter and he couldn't run, but he could turn the double play. And for thirty years or more, forty year, not forty, but thirty years, you talk to somebody about a second baseman and they say, you know, and it it would a you know, he does this and does that, but he doesn't he did not real good turning the double play. Mm-hmm. And as The game has now gone to the shift game. A, Lavelle and I were talking about this. Not only is turning the double play a completely different art and a completely different thing, and it doesn't revolve around the second baseman as much as it used to, but what difference does it make if they have range anymore? You used to say he had range. Now there's three of them over there. Yeah, You know, it's either, and plus he's playing out in the grass half the time, right, when a left-handed hitter's up, or he's playing over there. And so I looked it up, or I had somebody look it up for me because they're smarter than I am. Uh, The Twins shift more uh, when runners are on base than any team in baseball. They shift 40.3% of the time, right and left-handed hitters. Mm Mm-hmm when runners are on base, and 40.5% of the time when there's a runner on first. So, wow. So if there's a left-handed hitter up, you're still leaving one side, and, and there's a runner on first, you're still leaving one side of the, you know, one guy on the left side of the infield. Uh, you're basically you know, not going to, there's baseman, no chance you're going to get a 6 4 at all. You're leaving your third baseman there, or sometimes they move the second, third baseman over on the thing. But it's the... The traditional way of scouting second baseman is now—you can now take six foot three, two hundred twenty-five pound guys and put them at second base. You know, because it's not—not not the issue it used to they be. They don't
2: need to have the range. They don't where have the range. You, you don't. You know. Yeah. You
0: know they, and, and I'm sure you still see on scouting reports. Uh, Ray, you know the Terry Ryan two to eight. Two being terrible. Don't don't bah, don't look at him again. <laughs> to eight being the best. I'm sure you still see on the scouting report range six, uh, five. I I don't know. Now it's a, it is a all the changes that are coming to baseball. Uh, what what's happening with middle infielders is is certainly one of them. Now the shortstop is in the deeper in the hole. Than he's ever been because mm-hmm. you know the shift because the second baseman's over there on he's in side. the grass now basically yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. you got it that's where you got to have the arm if you know mm-hmm. they've always you always shortstops always had to have an arm right yep. and polanco's question at shortstop was that side arm you know he wouldn't get on top of the ball and make the throw and and uh but more than ever you need the shortstop who can make the you know, if you're going to play that kind of defense, if you're going to feel that way, and have he gets him deep into the over hole it, and all over, yeah, the you got to make the long throw and... over there. So it's uh, and it is interesting too. Now Scope is, he's he's here on a one-year deal, and he, and everybody thought he was an emergency guy, okay, but he's playing well enough that you would have to look, and and he's kind of fits the new twins that. Hit home runs, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you have all these infielders in the you know you got Royce Lewis, but he's not going to be here next year. Maybe the year after. Right. Nick Gordon, I think he's kind of fallen off the picture. They got a yeah. they got a second baseman named uh, Jose Miranda, I think it is, who can really hit. He started off terrible in uh, a ball, but he's uh, uh, my my friend Billy Miles, who's a twin scout swears by him says mm-hmm. he can really hit and then wander javier the you know they gave a bunch of money to him and he's he got set back because he had tommy john but he, so they got the they're they're pretty well loaded in the middle of the infield but it, it'll be interesting to see if scope survives another year
2: i wonder too if going back to the whole shifting thing if baseball because it's going to come up of finding ways to combat the shift or you know Ban the shift? Do they put in a rule, you know, to, or create an oh, illegal yeah. defense rule or something like that? If that does happen, if that's going to change it, it the has, viewpoint of it like has a second been
0: days, mentioned, but not lately. None of them. Right. I think, majorly, I think with all the changes that Manfred has proposed, he didn't throw that. I think they've decided they can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they've decided that a, you can't teams fundamentally and... change the game that much. Although, now the Atlantic League is experimenting with all these rules, right? That mm-hmm. they want to put in. I, I have to check. I don't know if they have a shifting rule in or not. I, because they're, they're doing a lot of stuff that baseball isn't even sure they're they're looking at. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, the 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 shifting thing is. I don't think they're going to get to that one. I think they're going to uh, keep doing this. And but, of course, another way to
2: another way to beat the shift is just get <laughs> the ball the opposite way who, or uh, bunt. Yeah.
0: Who bunted on the Twins the other day uh, in in Houston? Right? Somebody uh, just laid it down. Uh, somebody but Oh, it was Bre- not Bregman. It was a left-handed hitter for uh, left-handed hitter for Houston, I believe. That yeah, just dr- it. dropped it down, and the Twins were shifted way over mm-hmm. on them. You know, they had, had the you know the whoever the left side of the infielder was he was beyond the normal shortstop hole he was closer to second than that and it's funny he laid down the bunt and the twins look at him like he's cheating they all give him <laughs> they all give him that they are mad, him they're that mad that at him cuz he yeah. even though he dropped down a little bunt and and, well, and beat it out yeah. you
2: know i mean the shift is they use the shift as strategy defensively and but it people is people are going to try and counter that.
0: Very uh, the 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 way the Twins approach uh, hitting now. I sh- I was thinking this the other day. Rosario comes up and Kepler comes up and they got the big shifts going on them. They don't even, you know, they're going to hit it. They're going to try to hit it over. it, You know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: now once in a while Eddie will hit the ball down the left side, but Kepler's pretty much a dead pull hitter, and uh, and he's got the biggest lift swing of them all, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He's changed his swing more than anybody.
2: Getting more launch angle in there, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a that's a good term, uh lifting whatever whatever it is.
2: <laughs> you love those terms, don't you? Oh, I love it.
0: Yeah.
1: Well,
0: you know. I, I mean it is interesting. I did say that these some of these line drives I gotta talk to Crone about this uh next time I see him. Those three or four line drive home runs he's hit, mm-hmm. have you ever seen a ball get out of the park quicker? Never. They're like
2: it's unbelievable. Two foot
0: high. They're like Frank Howard, Frank Howard, the big six foot nine guy who was scared to death every pitcher's. I remember Louis Tion wouldn't let the ball go. He'd just stand there on the mound, hoping the guy disappear because he wouldn't hit him in a line drive. But he used to. He hit some big majestic ones too. But he yeah. also when he
2: hit a right on a rope, on,
0: when he got on like semi on top of the ball, he would just it would just <laughs> you could hear it, you know. And Crone's uh, hit some of those. He's turned out to be a better player, than I thought, yeah, he's he's, he's okay he at hit. first, and he he ran he can run down the line and do the old Herbeck catch the foul ball too.
2: He he made a couple of plays early in early in the season. The first I think it was the first road trip they had uh, in Kansas City, and where he scooped up a couple of Polanco had made a couple of bad throws mm-hmm. from yes. short, and Crone kind of bailed him out a little bit with his glove. I was like, huh, okay. He, yeah, I mean, they brought him in, I assume, for his bat, but he's yeah, okay he, with the leather, too. I think
0: like, uh, when he was with uh, the Angels, he played out in the outfield as much as he played at first base. So mm-hmm. he's a, now, I haven't looked to see, but uh, Kirilov is, uh, if, the, if this outfield stays together, and you would imagine it would, yeah. uh, Kirilov is uh, the kid they're talking about, is becoming a first baseman, although I haven't, they said they were going to play him at both first and then in the outfield this year. I haven't looked to see if uh, if that's the case, but uh but you know, he's a guy that uh Crones, you know, definitely a guy worth keeping around the way the way he's played so far.
2: Yeah. How close do they think Kirilov is to coming up to the big club? He's closer I than Royce. Is. Spring, oh, yes, he is. Yeah. I think
0: with spring training. Yeah, depending on need. Mm uh next august not this august but maybe next you know next Mm -hmm. august maybe next summer sometime they yeah he's he's pretty advanced he's got the he's got the he's got the no doubt about it swing yeah where you know royce is you know really really a great athlete and a hard-working guy and and if he gets his pitch, he can hit it. But uh, Kirilov's got the swing that his daddy was teaching him when he was three. You know, mm-hmm. his daddy's like a hitting coach. So
2: what are they going to do with Nick Gordon? Because he's—I I mean, he's, last year he's he just didn't—he didn't, out, he didn't, he didn't, hit, didn't hit. Yeah,
0: something about Rochester, man. You, their team batting average was two twenty-seven. And now the other day they were in that twenty-to-eighteen game because the wind was blowing out, so it might have distorted their stats. But mm-hmm. but I looked them up. Oh, it's got to be 10 days ago, and they had six out of the eight guys were under 200 or six out of Oof. the nine. So, anyway.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Hey, Buster Olney coming up. Uh, this is uh, Racy on Baseball with uh, Manny Hill. Uh, we shall return. Buster Olney, ESPN and ESPN.com is uh, with us. Uh, so, uh, what's the level of panic in Boston here, sir? Do we have any
1: idea? Uh, I think at this point it's probably about an eight or a nine. And and look, I think Alex Cora last year, you know, phenomenal manager. I think still think he's the most powerful manager in baseball. But you could see it on his face, and and it wasn't only about uh, you know starting pitchers and the fact that uh, you know Chris Sale didn't get off to a great start. I think it was about how the Red Sox had played, and it's also about uh, a team that. Uh, Rockville Daly knows well in the Tampa Bay Rays playing so well at the beginning of this year and uh, sort of playing in the on the same level that they were they were going on last year when uh, you know at the end of the season you talked to people the Yankees you talked to people the Red Sox and they talked about how dangerous the Rays were and they're certainly demonstrating that this year.
0: Hey Buster uh so in spring training sort of the Red Sox deal was to uh kind of Get in a lot of extra rest and break everybody in slowly because of the extra five weeks of the season last year. And he didn't use the pitchers some. He didn't use his regulars for – he didn't give them the normal at-bats. And I I was wondering if – we could probably make the point that they weren't as sharp when the season started, but the Twins also spend more time relaxing and resting than I've ever seen in spring training, so that's probably not it.
1: Yeah, it's the endless search for what's becoming the holy grail in baseball, which is to determine how to deal with the hangover effect. Because we're almost 20 years since the teams won back-to-back championships, the last one uh, being those Yankee teams, 98 to 2000. Um, I remember a few years ago before the Mets uh, opened their season after they reached the World Series against uh, Kansas City, and uh, Terry Collins managed at the time, and he said, you know, all winter – I talked to Tony La Russa, and I talked to Jim Leland and other people that he, you know, he knew had been in the postseason. And he said, and I asked him about the hangover from playing in the World Series, playing deep into October. He said, it's real. And that's what I got back. And so everyone's trying to figure out the best way to adjust. I, I think I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that uh, after uh, you know, we saw the Red Sox off to a slow start, we had a Sunday night game involving the Dodgers. And they, of course, have been the World Series in back-to-back years. And one of the, the Dodger players asked me, hey, what's going on with the Red Sox? And I said, well, they kind of held everybody back in spring training. We're trying to get pitchers proper rest because they pitched deep into October. And this Dodger looked at me and said, yeah, we tried that last year. It doesn't work. <laughs> All it meant was is that we got off to a slow start and we had to dig out of a hole. So I, I, it's going to continue to be some something that everyone's going to be trying to get the formula right I think moving forward
0: and it could be with simple with the Red Sox is uh, one year everything goes right and the next year everything goes wrong <laughs> you know it's uh, all all the luck you use up winning 119 uh, you might not have that the next year
1: I totally agree with you and and things come together in a great way Mookie Betts has you know the perhaps the best year of his life and Chris Sale Despite the physical problems at the end of the year, was able to contribute in the postseason. And David Price warming up in the bullpen uh, before what game four of the ALCS, or during game four before the ninth inning, found something in his delivery. Comes out and pitches great in the start. The very next day, uh, all those things kind of fall together in place. They're all you know they're stitched together, and you start pulling on those threads. And, and maybe the season doesn't turn out quite the way that it. It did the year before, um, which is why, you know, when you see the Twins off to a great start or if you see the Yankees overcoming their injuries early in the year, then you sort of ask yourself, you know what, Uh, maybe this is how one of those seasons is built uh, at the beginning, where you can uh, look back and say, this is how it happened.
0: Buster Olney's with us. So uh, Vlad Jr. had doubled attendance there in Toronto. They weren't drawing anybody, and they had some uh, nice crowds to see him. Uh, A, how, how good is he? And B, how worried are they about him letting himself get that heavy uh, during the offseason?
1: Well, they're definitely aware of how he got heavier. Um, and I, is the first thing I heard from people, the Blue Jays, uh, during the course of the winter and into spring training, that they were like, wow, he's picked up some weight. And that's going to be his challenge. And, I mean, there's a direct comp for you uh, there yes. you know, that you've seen in, with the twins and Miguel Sano, where five years ago, Miguel Sano was viewed as one of the great, potential hitting stars in baseball and now you kind of wonder where he's at in his career because he's battled this problem Pablo Sandoval with the Giants was the same way so I'm sure that there are people in his ear uh, already saying we got to work on your nutrition we got to maintain your weight we got to make sure that you're able to stay healthy on the field because it's one thing to be you know 20 years old and that heavy is and then it's a whole other thing to be 25 to 28 years old and by all accounts this guy is an incredibly special hitter, and has the gift to not only, like his dad, to square up any pitch in the strike zone and hit it hard, but he also has more plate discipline than his father yes. does to <laughs> give himself a better chance, which you know is remarkable. Uh, I, I you know I had a conversation with our friend Tim Kirchner last week about okay who uh, that we've seen player to or father to son looks more directly a similar type as a player as Vlad Sr. and Vlad Jr. The only one I could think of after that conversation were the fielders, you know, between Cecil and Prince, where you you felt like that, that the son got all the best of the father's skills, and that's the way it looks with Vlad as a hitter.
0: I uh, heard uh, Eduardo Perez make a little crack. about He he made an unspoken reference to uh, Vlad Jr. being heavy, I, I heard the other night on the telecast. So
1: yeah, I, and there's no doubt about it. I, it's something that moving forward, uh, that probably at this point, because there's no doubt in anybody's mind whether or not he has the ability, he has the acumen uh, to be a great hitter in the big leagues. I think the question moving forward is whether or not he can just get a hold of that weight issue that we know that really bothered other players.
0: You saw Cleveland last night. They got a great effort by uh, Carrasco, but they couldn't beat Houston because uh, once uh, Houston got a little something going offensively, they couldn't stop them. What, uh, what's your view? What What's Francona say is going on with his club?
1: Well... I've got to tell you, they probably uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that when they boarded their plane last night that they felt like they had a missed opportunity to sort of take back some ground they lost in the last year. They won the American League Central, but then they absolutely got their butts whipped by the Astros in that first round of the playoffs, and they had a chance, really two chances, to wind up taking at least three out of four in that series. But early on, you know, and we've had the Indians on Sunday night the last two weeks, I think there's a, a strong sense there that when Shane Bieber gets back, and he's on the disabled list now, the injured list with a, an issue in his back, and they're confident that he's going to get through that, that their rotation is the best in baseball. But can it be supported enough by offense? And they like what Carlos Gonzalez has added to their team. They got Francisco Lindor back last week. He obviously is a difference-making type player. Um, the one thing that's a great unknown is that we don't know if the Indians are actually going to be able to make additions during the year. I think it's more likely, Patrick, that they're going to be sellers during the course of the year, even if they're in a position to win the division. I, and I've talked to executives with other teams who told me this. They think that the Indians are going to trade Trevor Bowery for the trade deadline, no matter how the team is doing. It's part of their effort to manage payroll and to, to restock the farm system.
0: Who gets him? I'd take him in a heartbeat. I'll
1: tell yeah, you that. There would be a lot of teams who would take him in a heartbeat. <laughs> and look, his reputation of being a quirky guy, and maybe the, not the most popular teammate at times with some of the stuff he does. That all precedes him. But my goodness, in a short-term situation, or even you know, year and a half situation before his free agency, you're talking about someone who's a horse. You know, and Francona has so much praise for him. How. He can throw all day, and he can throw all day every day, and he just seems to get better and better and better, and he really does love pitching. And Francona will tell you he wants to be great. Um, Just off the top of my head, my guess is he winds up with the Phillies or he winds up with the Dodgers.
0: Uh, The uh, Phillies, by the way, I saw last night, had their first complete game since 2016. First (laughs) nine-inning complete game since 2016.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that's the nature of the game, and it's also uh, the nature of how the starting pitching has gone early. I think that's been one of the surprises that, you know, that didn't come together more completely for them. And, um, you know, we'll see. I, I do think as the year goes along, and, and we, we've we all kind of wondered, as soon as Bryce Harper agreed to terms with the Phillies, knowing that Bryce is represented by Scott Boris, knowing that Dallas Keuchel is represented by Scott Boris, if it might be a two-for-one package, at some point, if he remains on the board, you got to figure that 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 uh, you know that move could, could could happen for the Phillies or some other team.
0: Whenever I uh, read a story about the Dodgers these days, they have to uh, spend two paragraphs telling me all the uh, historical things that Cody Bellinger is doing here in the first month of the season, all the different categories that he's lighting it up in.
1: Yeah, and all you have to do is start with this: he has as many home runs as strikeouts. Okay. <laughs> He's got 14 homers. He's got 14 strikeouts. Uh, Look, there's no doubt about it that this is someone who, coming out of the last two postseasons in which he got absolutely embarrassed by opposing pitchers, opposing scouts, identifying that he struggled against breaking stuff down and in, uh, and to the degree that he wound up getting benched during the course of the World Series, that he has launched himself into this season. And, you know, when I talked to him a couple weeks ago, you could just see it in his eyes like how much he was devoted to getting better. Uh, and, and there's so many times this year where you can see opposing pitchers, opposing catchers, trying to find a way to finish him off, and they go to that spot that with a breaking ball down it in, and he's just rifling it all over the place. Uh, you know, these, by the time April's over, he's going to wind up having set records for uh, OPS potentially, for the number of home runs, and for the number of total bases in one month, he, you know, in the end, may well go over 100 total bases by the end of April. Think about how incredible that is. When we think of a player getting 400 total bases in this season as being extraordinary, he may go over 100 in the first month.
0: Uh, Buster, I was uh, talking to uh, people earlier. Uh, so if you want to know how – if we want to know how baseball has changed in the last decade – in the 2000s, that first decade of, of this uh, century, the Twins were the prototype mid-market team because they moved runners and they <laughs> they caught the ball and they you know they they uh, uh, produced runs uh, by you know moving runners over and doing all that, and now. They are the reincarnation of the 2014 or 15 Orioles. They just sit there and hit home runs.
1: <laughs> it's amazing, and you're right. And I don't, you, know, you don't have to go that far back no. for them to be the prototype because the Kansas City Royals, when they won the World yes. Series in 2015, the narrative uh, you know, written by a lot of people like myself was, yep, this team puts the ball in play. They may not walk a lot, but they'll move runners, and that translates in the postseason, and you're exactly right with what the Twins are doing. As of today, as you and I speak, they have the highest fly ball rate in Major League Baseball. <laughs> Their hitters get the ball in the air better than any team in baseball. It's clear that's not only the approach that the front office wants the team to take, that's the players that they added, right? Yep, when they added yes. all of these big sluggers. And then, you know, you mix in a couple of guys like Buxton and uh, you know Will and Asadio, and and all of a sudden you look at this offense and you wonder, Boy, could they sustain that during the whole year. Now, a lot of that was done against the Baltimore Yes, it
0: Warriors.
1: was. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you feel like, to some degree, you have to throw it out, but they are off to a great start. Let's remember, you know, they're one, one of the teams, I always feel like you throw out the April stats to some degree because they play in a lot of games in cold weather, colder weather than a lot of other teams do. So I, I personally look at that offense, and it, it raises my eyebrows and gives them a lot of hope. I think for the year.
0: Well, more than anyone, I think they're obviously they're all down into the go, they're all into the go down and lift. But uh, when you see the change in Kepler, that's more dramatic to me than anybody. Man, he is down there and and just you know he's strong and he's just trying to he's doing this without striking out a whole lot. But he's he's trying to go down and lift it more than anybody. It's incredible.
1: And I got to tell you, when you look at the team and the fact that you know, you know, you have a new coaching staff, you know, having Rocco Baldelli come in, and and I know that James Rousen, uh is a holdover at, at yes. the hitting coach, but I think what that tells you is is that they have changed sort of the the culture of how hitting is discussed. And and I bring that up because I I really felt like that that was a turning point for the Red Sox last year. You bring in J.D. Martinez. Uh, who's told by the new manager, Alex Cora, look, I want you to be the leader of this group because I've heard you can really talk hitting, and I want Mookie Betts to follow you around and to learn from what you're doing. And it was remarkable day after day to see how all the Red Sox responded to J.D. and how much the players got out of their pregame meetings. And you get the sense that that same sort of culture an approach is developing in in the the twins, as you mentioned. You know, when you see a Kepler or you see a Jorge Polanco reduce his fly ball rate from you know by almost 60 percent, it's remarkable how many more what a higher percentage of fly balls he's hitting. That tells you that the work in the cage before games has been exceptional.
0: So, uh, as a former Orioles beat writer, uh, this oh is the—I uh, know they've started a season with uh, 21 straight losses, but uh, this is the worst ever. This is—they're going to lose 114 again.
1: Yeah, the 62 Mets. I think you would agree with me are held up as baseball standard for the worst team in history. The the 2019 Orioles are going to threaten them. There's absolutely no question about it. In fact. You know, during the winter, uh, when the first odds come out on you know over unders on team victories, you know we sometimes will be asked to write about those. What jumps out at at, uh, at you? And and the one number I could not believe it after they won 47 games last year that the the over under on the Orioles was listed at 59 and a half. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait a second, they're in the same division as the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays and they didn't do anything to improve their team, and they lost Manny Machado, and they you know, lost other hitters as well, why in the world would they actually improve? And that, for me, stood out, and I, I sent that in as, this is clearly the over-under that you would jump on if you actually could bet on it. Uh, and my colleague, Jeff Passan, as it turned out, he wrote about the exact same number that I did. Like, are you kidding? It's got to be the 59-and-a-half on the <laughs> Orioles. You have to take the under on that thing. So I could have retired if I had gone down that path, Patrick.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. And you know when baseball tries to explain the six percent drop in attendance last year or whatever it was, the the number of baseball towns that are being ruined by this has got to be looked at. I mean, uh, you know, Toronto uh, has gone from what four million to. Though they won't draw two, and and but especially, I mean Baltimore, which you know it's not the world's greatest baseball town, and you got the Nats in the market now. But I mean they're doing damage here that won't be rebuilt for years,
1: if ever. Uh, I'm really concerned about that franchise because it's clear, you know, in the current trajectory, as a part of the American League East they may not be relevant in that division for another six to eight years. And you wonder, with the Nationals being in Washington, uh, if, that, if the Nationals wind up basically stealing away any of the Orioles uh, fans that they have left. And you know this, it, you know for years, even if the Orioles didn't draw well yes. uh, before they opened Camden Yards, there was a great passion around that team, and there was a great fan base. And then when Camden Yards opened, they had all that uh, ridiculous consecutive sellout streak. That is gone. Uh, and I, I worry about the Oriole franchise in the same way that I worry about the Marlins franchise, is that even after you bring it back, yes. who exactly is going to be around to care?
0: That's right. Hey, Buster, thanks for your time, sir, and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks.
1: Okay, Patrick, thank you.
0: All right. Uh, Buster Olney, ESPN and ESPN.com. Uh, next week, the TK doubleheader, Tom Kelly and Tim Kirkchin. This is Ricey on Baseball. This is Ricey on Baseball. uh, One of my disappointments of this spring, in addition to this horrible weather we've been having, the Gophers baseball last year really caught a little bit of an audience uh, when they won the Big Ten, and then they won the uh, Big Ten playoff. Hosted a regional over at Seabird Field, mm-hmm. and now that Seabird Field, when it was first open, it was bare bones. But they've added, you know, added a few bleachers. They got that hitting cage up there. It looks more like this little boutique ballpark, mm-hmm. and it looked gorgeous. And they had a couple of nice nights. UCLA was here, and they knocked off UCLA. And and they had quite a bit of that. They lost a bunch of good seniors, but they. They were very optimistic uh, this year because they had Fredrickson Kidd, who was fantastic, Patrick, who's having a little arm trouble now. And then they had Max Meyer, and they uh, you know, they had, they had thought they were going to have real good pitching and good enough hitting. And they had to play, I think, their first 16 on the road because the nobody could get in the dome because of the final four. Mm-hmm. And they played a brutal schedule. I mean, they didn't, they, they went, they were in North Carolina, they were in Washington State, they were in California, they were in Texas, and they played like Dallas Baptist, which is a baseball power, and yeah. and UCLA, which is number one in the country last I looked, and uh, got off to a, I think they were 3-12 and 12 or something mm. like that. So they, by the time the season started, they were in a situation where they pretty much have to win the Big Ten to to get into the tournament, because yeah. you know, because no matter what they did, and right now they're fighting to get into the tournament. And last weekend, they go down to play Indiana, which is has a pretty good program. They went to the, I think they went to the College World Series a few years ago, and Swarbers from there, and mm-hmm. and they've had some players, and uh, they they beat them the first day, and last they gave up four in the bottom of the ninth, and got beat on Saturday, and then lost against Sunday. So they're now. I think tied for seventh or something in the league. Mm. They might not even make the playoffs. So uh, it was, you know, I always kind of wondered what John Anderson was doing, working so hard to get that on-campus stadium. I kind of thought maybe, you know, go over and play at CHS Field. But last spring you could see what his vision was, and it was it was fun. It was good, and it's uh, kind of unfortunate that, uh, that uh, they've fallen off this year when they – you know, it's been such a lousy spring, you probably wouldn't be drawing anybody, but they gained a little bit of an audience last year, and then, yeah. And you know, let's face it, this new dome, the Metrodome was perfect for baseball, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you played baseball there. Yeah. This new thing is just slapped in there, they don't want them,
2: you yeah. they know,
0: they're just, they weren't going to have, they weren't going to make it to accommodate baseball until somebody pointed out that... Mark Dayton that he that he called it the People Stadium, and now you were throwing all the baseball teams out of there. <laughs> but uh, it's 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 chintzy, you know. They don't have a real mound and that kind of stuff. But uh, but at least it's a place to play some home games. And he was going to start this ACC uh, Big Ten type of. Tournament and stuff, and uh, and then, but this year's kind of uh, kind of gone in the tank for him, which is uh, unfortunate. Uh, but uh, you know. I'm
2: still amazed, though, how how long John has been able to John Anderson has been able to keep himself mm-hmm. into it. You know what I mean? Because yes, he's yeah. been there for a long, oh, long yes. time. Oh, he's been coaching 30, the program.
0: Is it three now? 30, yeah, three? Three, it, just, And he was an assistant before that, right? You know.
2: It's, it's it's amazing to see someone, to this day, as long as he's been there, still heavily invested in putting all his time and energy into a program like that. It's, it's really Ranger, impressive. Iron Ranger, you know. He's yeah. an Iron
0: Ranger, too. So, yeah. uh, by the way, in its day, the Iron Ranger used to be a good baseball area. But it's you yeah. can imagine. They they don't kick off their season to Last year, I remember uh, when we had the longest – Longest winter in the history of man and, <laughs> and I was I, cocked, I did a piece on how horrible the weather was, and and talked to the Ely guy. Ely, you know, once had the American Legion World Series up there, and yeah, a yeah. big, big, uh, big uh, baseball area, and. They were hoping they might get outside for a practice about April twenty fifth. You know, it was still snowing <laughs> and anything. It's uh, but it, this again has been another lousy uh, spring for high school baseball. And, I remember and
2: like. I remember my last year covering Hastings sports. It was about six years ago now. My last spring covering the sports, it was we had a huge had a huge snowstorm in like, I think like late March, early April or something yeah. like that. And basically none of the fields around the state mm. were, were playable. And it yes. got to the point where basically every game for the entire season for the baseball team especially was doubleheaders. They just they would just play three, three or four doubleheaders in a week and that was their schedule. I mean it, it, it was it's it's amazing how the weather can affect everybody. If you're not if it's if we get snow in April it's, it's going to have a huge impact on everybody in this region.
0: And and, and uh, to the point of go for baseball, which was, you know, for Siebert and then John and won all those Big Ten titles, the showcase era of baseball now, you know, where they have these showcases regional, mm-hmm. has really made it harder than ever to keep the baseball players in Minnesota because, you know, you got Florida and you know that Logan Shore kid ended up down in Florida, and yeah. uh, you know they're they're after Minnesota kids now, and you cannot blame a Minnesota kid if Oklahoma State or somebody. You know we got hey, come on down. We we'll start playing February fifteenth. Then we're gonna mm-hmm. play sixty four games. We might have a tornado, but that'll be the you know <laughs> that'll be and it. Uh, you know that it's it's they it's harder than ever to keep the great. Uh, Minnesota baseball player because everybody knows, you know, you don't have some kid hidden in Hinkley or something now. Everybody mm-hmm. knows about these kids from the show, showcase era and, uh, you know, that's uh, there's there's if you look around I know when the Red Wing kid the shortstop, uh, what was the kid's name, Paul uh, Bolt, was it? Ryan Bolt, was it? Yeah. The, that way he went to... Uh, he went to Nebraska. That broke John's heart, man. They wanted that mm-hmm. kid. But, uh, yeah. But uh, go for baseball. It was fun last year, and uh, maybe they can get a little run going here. But Siebert Field is a, if, if we ever uh, get any uh, spring uh, spring here, it's still uh, a neat little place to go over there. Even though they do have the worst parking in the United <laughs> States of America.
2: That might be the one thing that has kept me from attending the game over there <laughs> well, is the, basically, the complicated parking now, situation.
0: now you have to... Take the ramp, parking into the ramp over there. Uh, that's basically up the street from Ritter Arena, mm-hmm. and you can try to park on the on that road next to the railroad tracks. But there's this, you know they cut it off at a certain point, and they yeah. give tickets. And and there's room for about eight spots, and then otherwise you gotta you gotta walk across the through the new athletic facilities. And now there was a while where you could cut across the train tracks. You know, climb up and go across the train tracks and go through there, but they fence that off, too. Mm. Softball. By the way, this is racy on baseball, but how about that Gopher softball team? They lost Lindemann. They're 19-1. and Woo! And they've won 11 or 12 in a row, and they got two sluggers that both are in the 50s for RBIs with 15 home runs. And... Nineteen and one is second place because I think Northwestern is twenty and zero. So really? we got a real balance problem in uh, softball here. And I also <laughs> saw Winona State just finished third league at thirty and zero. Let's get a little balance here. Let's throw some of these teams out, man. <laughs> got to throw them the, out of the conference. Get they're too dominant. State out of the. Get Concordia volleyball out of the northern sun. Get Winona State softball out of the northern sun. They're we too need to- dominant. Yes, they they are too dominant. Well, uh, the uh, Fighting Twins uh, Twinks got Houston uh, this week for four games, and then they go to Yankee Stadium. So this will be. The Week of Truth. <laughs> we, well, yeah. The, the fun is over. The uh, Week of Truth uh, started this week. Uh, Houston uh, here again on Wednesday and Thursday, and uh, then uh, going to Yankee Stadium. Where?
2: Are the Yankees the hitting Yankees now? The Yankees got like... Are they, are they hitting now? They kind of well, got off got a little up, bit well, of a slow start. Well, they
0: got like their, their B squad on, and they're, <laughs> they, they're winning. They, they're, uh, they lost two more players on Sunday. Their second-string players are now starting to get hurt, and they're still winning because their pitching's been good. So, so Manny, uh, with the first-place twins here as we uh, go into this, uh, this uh, rugged week, uh, it's not Eddie Rosario. It's probably not the injured William, Willens Astadio. Who is your surprise twin of the year to this point, your own?
2: My surprise twin of the year. You didn't know I was going to sneak up with you on this (laughs) Well, that's why they call it a surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a really, really good question. I would say, I'll be honest, I thought Buxton would be better. I didn't think he would be this much better. Mm -hmm. I thought there would be some improvement there, but I was still a little bit hesitant with him that he was going to be this good. This this early into this season, so I think the biggest surprise for me has probably been probably been Byron Buxton just in terms of how good he's actually actually been because I thought he would be better than last year because I mean wasn't wasn't going to be hard for him to be better than what he was last I think year. But. Mine
0: would be a guy you mentioned before the, we started uh, doing this, uh, Mitch Garver. There's yeah, it's been a uh, big yeah. change. Although they spent so much time getting him to get low in the strike zone because mm-hmm. they want they don't want to lose those low strikes and somebody pointed this out to be on twitter and they're right the catchers are so low now that they're catching the ball at their heads and it's at the letters or even a little below the letters and the umps are calling it a ball based on where the catcher's mitt is because mm-hmm. they got themselves so low that they're catching the ball
2: and the Here, elves are thinking that the it's ups higher.
0: And the, the they see the catcher's glove go up. And they think and it's from, high. And from all those years of training, they're calling them balls. So mm. you, cre- you solve a problem, you create a problem. <laughs> and you know what that's called? That's not called baseball, Manny. That's called life. That's life. You solve a problem, <laughs> yes. you create a problem. That's our lesson for the day. Uh, we'll be with you again next week.